Welcome to the Talking Immigration Podcast. Immigration is a complex issue. Most of us have strong emotions, but don't actually know the details of how immigration actually works. In this podcast, I interview immigration experts to teach us about the types of immigration, limits, costs, enforcement, and more. I'm Katarina, your host. Let's talk immigration. Today we are talking with Zayla Gonzalez, a Department of Justice accredited representative with the Human Rights Initiative of North Texas. Being an accredited representative means she has been granted authority to provide immigration legal services. Welcome to the show, Zayla. Will you tell us a little bit about your immigration experience? Yes. So as you said, I'm an accredited representative with Human Rights Initiative of North Texas. I have been working with HRI for it's about to be seven years in November. I started working there right after college, after I graduated college. And, you know, that's, I never thought I was going to work in the field of immigration, but I was always interested in immigrants' rights and in international relations um, and government and the law. So it, it kind of came together. I am a first-generation college student, uh, first-born here in the United States. My parents were born both in Tamaulipas, Mexico, and my father actually was able to get his green card through my grandfather, who was a U.S. citizen, and my mother um, was able to take advantage of the, the amnesty program in the 80s. <laughs> And so they, from an early age, have had lawful status here in the United States. But I have, throughout my years, known um, several friends who haven't been lawfully here in the United States. And so I've seen personally through friends the challenges that come with being undocumented here in the United States. It's not very surprising that the lack of legal status could make somebody who is living in the U.S. extremely vulnerable to crime and other forms of abuse. And there are a number of specialty visas that exist for immigrants who are victims of violence. Zayla, to start, would you describe for us what are some of these specialty visas that are available? So the one that I have the most experience with are U-Visas. Those are for people who have been victims of certain types of crimes here in the United States, who have reported those crimes to law enforcement and who have been helpful in the investigation of the crime to law enforcement. Um, we also work with VAWAs, and these are primarily known to be for people who have been victims of domestic violence here in the United States. They are for non-citizens who have been victims of some sort of domestic violence at the hands of a U.S. citizen or of a lawful permanent resident. There's also T-visas, trafficking visas, and those are for non-citizen survivors of uh, severe human trafficking here in the United States. Um, and there's also a component where law enforcement certifies that they have been survivors of this trafficking. And then lastly, there is also TPS, Temporary Protected Status. Those are the only type of specialty visas that is for people who in their home country, there is some sort of ongoing conflict or uh, an environmental disaster 
or any other temporary condition that makes their home country um, not a good place to return to. For those who may be new to the show, will you briefly explain to us what exactly is a visa? So a visa is an official document that allows foreigners to enter the United States legally. And primarily, there are two kinds of visas, a non-immigrant visa that is for temporary status here in the United States, and then an immigrant visa that allows for some sort of permanent stay here in the United States. And so are all of the types of specialty visas that we've covered, the U visas, VAWA, T visas, and TPS, are those temporary or permanent visas? So these types of visas are temporary. There's, you know, a little bit of of differences. For example, U visas and T visas, they're temporary, but they do have a pathway for people to apply for legal permanent residence, which would then allow them to remain here in the United States permanently if approved. A VAWA is also sort of temporary in the sense that the period that it is given lasts for a certain amount of time, but they are able to renew them. So in that sense, it does not expire. They can keep renewing them. As well as a a, a TPS, Um, those are also for a designated amount of time, but they are renewable. However, those are um, contingent on the government allowing that designation for that country to, to continue. TPS is, is only for people from certain countries, and those countries um, are designated by, by the government. So as, as long as those countries are still designated by the government, then people can keep renewing those. When were these types of visas for victims established? Has this always been a part of our immigration law, or how did they first begin? Um, so they they have not always been a part of our, our immigration laws here in the United States. The earliest one that, that was created would be TPS, which was created under the Immigration Act of 1990. And then we saw the creation of VAWA. That was in 1994 as part of the Violence Against Women Act. And U-visas and T-visas were actually created at the same time in October 2000. And they are part of the Victims of Trafficking and Violence Protection Act. So relatively new. Yes. Do you have any data on how many of these types of visas were granted maybe in the last year? And are they limited like other types of visa categories? Um, yes, so I actually don't have stats about how many have been used recently. Primarily, my experience is, is mainly with U visas. At any given point in time, there's more um, applications pending than they can be that they can be approved. I think there's over a hundred thousand pending right now under U visas. And as you mentioned, there are caps for these applications and these types of visas. The U visa has a cap of 10,000 U visas that can be approved per fiscal year. T visas has a 5,000 cap. 
and then VAWA and TPS, those don't don't have a limit as to how many the government can approve. And do you know who sets that number? Is that a number that's established by Congress or is it executive? Yes, it's, so it's established by Congress. Um, and I believe since I've, I've worked in, in the field, that has not changed. Specifically surrounding U visas, there is a lot of movement to increase the number of U visas that are granted each year, um, because as I said, there's more than 100,000 pending, and if only 10,000 can be approved every year, you can imagine that creates a backlog, a, a very long backlog. And so it, it is Congress who decides and who can act on how many they are going to allow. But as of right now, it, it has not been increased. Do you know what the backlog is? Could you give us an um, example? I, so I can speak to our current cases. And right now we are seeing approvals from people who applied roughly around the summer and early fall of 2015. So about a five year, but it's it's increasing um, more and more. As the number of applications goes exactly. up, right? Um, can you talk us through some examples of a VAWA or a U visa case that you've handled, specifically with the U visas, like, I would be interested to know what types of crimes that qualify somebody for this type of visas. What are the cases like? And maybe what are some of those challenges that people are experiencing? Yes. So for a VAWA um, case, as I mentioned, those are centered around domestic violence. One case that that I handled um, in the last few years that I've been at HRI was the case of a young mother who met her U.S. citizen husband while they were still students in high school. Um, They began dating, and then soon thereafter, after graduation, they were married, um, and they had a child. And our client's partner had always exhibited some sort of jealous characteristics, but after the chi- after the birth of their child was when the jealousy turned into verbal abuse, and then unfortunately it morphed into physical abuse. And after some time, um, she was able, along with her child, to leave the abusive situation. Um, and her partner, though, had never applied for legal status for her, even though he was a U.S. US citizen. Um, so now she, you know, was alone, had a child, and had no secure status here in the United States. So she found our agency, I believe it was through somebody in her community college that was aware of our services and was able to get to us. And she qualified for a VAWA and was able to move forward and subsequently get her green card. And so that was, you know, not only stability for her, but for her young child. Um, And then you mentioned the types of of crimes for U visa. There's, um, as I mentioned, certain types of crimes. So not every crime can be, can lead to a U visa. Primarily what we see the most at our organization are survivors of sexual abuse, domestic violence too, in some circumstances, Domestic violence, because as part of a VAWA, the perpetrator has to be a U.S. citizen or a legal permanent resident. However, we know that many immigrants, their partner may 
also be undocumented. And so in, in these types of cases, they wouldn't qualify for VAWA. But if there is police interaction and they assisted the police, then they may qualify for a U visa. And so we see domestic violence. We see a lot of aggravated assault cases, things like that. And then, as I mentioned, sexual assault, unfortunately, in the last few years has been one that we've seen a lot, um, specifically sexual assault of minor children. And one of the cases that, that I've worked on for a U visa that uh, a couple of years ago, um, it was a single mother and her daughter who was of middle school age. And her young daughter was sexually assaulted by her mother's boyfriend while her mom was at work. And the daughter made an outcry at school and told her teacher about what her mother's boyfriend was doing when her mom wasn't home. And her, the mother and the daughter then reported the abuse to the local police. And in this specific case, because the daughter was underage, um, she was still in middle school at the time, her mother was primarily in charge of taking her to interviews with the police and with the DA's office. And because of that, her mother was able to also provide information because it was her boyfriend who was a perpetrator and, and this led to his eventual arrest. And now because both mother and daughter were undocumented and both of them assisted in the investigation and subsequently the prosecution of the perpetrator, then they were able to apply for, for a U visa. They also have since then applied for their green card and, and now have legal permanent status here in the United States. It's nice to know that these are available for people in these obviously very difficult situations, especially if I'm sure there's a lot of fear of going to the police if you're undocumented. I imagine that that creates extreme barriers to reporting crime in the first place. Can you talk a little bit about how these work? You mentioned in the VAWA, the wife of a, of a U.S. citizen, that doesn't happen automatically that I think some people might assume that, well, her husband was a U.S. citizen and she has status. You still have to petition. And so if that never happens, you don't get status. What's the process for these types of visas? You mentioned a lot about police involvement and providing information. Do the victims themselves, is, are they sort of in charge of connecting with an organization or how does that work? Do they need to take it to court? So for the majority of applicants under these types of um, programs, humanitarian programs, um, they apply for, for this relief, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. It is an organization of our federal government who is in charge of processing a lot of applications um, under, you know, the different immigration laws that we have here. And for these types of application, there normally is no component in front of a judge, in front of immigration court. Um, it's more administrative unless, you know, that person has had some sort of involvement with immigration unless they're currently detained or, you know, they, they have some sort of previous deportation orders. 
um, but primarily the, the application itself is prepared. They are in charge of, for the most part, finding legal representation um, at their own cost. There's no sort of free legal provider for immigrants in, in cases before USCIS. And so it is their duty to find legal representation to get connected with with organizations um, that can represent them in providing these cases for them or finding legal counsel that that can assist them in in applying for these applications. In our experience, I will say that you know, it's it's the benefit of living in, in a metroplex area. There are a lot of organizations here that work directly with survivors of violence and survivors of domestic violence and trafficking. And so a lot of, you know, law enforcement agencies here in North Texas and district attorney's offices, they already know who in their community works with U visas, who works with VAWAs, who works with trafficking visas. And so they're able to, once they give the certification document to to people affirming that they were helpful in the investigation or prosecution, they also provide them with with resources that that they can um, get to in, in the community. You mentioned that these visas cost money. Can you tell us what they cost? Yes. So for the T visas, U visas, and for the VAWAs, um, the main application for, for these programs, this type of relief, there is no cost for them, but there is a cost for other applications that need to be submitted along with their main application. For example, a U visa itself does not allow somebody to work. They, they have to apply for a work permit. And so work permit applications cost money. Um, and we also see applications for uh, what is called a waiver of inadmissibility. And this is for, you know, instances when people may have some sort of inadmissibility factor that makes them not be admissible to the United States, um, and they have to ask USCIS for that to be waived in order for them to obtain this benefit. And so the main application may not have a cost, but these um, other forms of applications that have to go along with that main one do have a cost. And these can range anywhere from $400 to $1,400. So you can imagine um, in my story about the family, the the mother and her young daughter, it's not just one application. It it was two applications that need to be submitted. And so for somebody who's, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, um, somebody who is living under the poverty line, $400 to $1,400 is, is extremely difficult to come up with. How long do these types of visas last? And you mentioned that they, there are limits, even though they can be renewed. What are those timeframes? It's a little bit different by application. As I mentioned, the T visas and U visas, uh, those are the ones that generally lead to a pathway to a green card. And so those usually last about four years. And then during the last year, people are eligible to apply to 
adjust their status to that of a legal permanent resident. Um, for VAWAs, as I mentioned, they don't technically have an expiration date, um, but that work permit that, that comes along with it is usually only valid for a year. And so they have to renew that yearly. VAWAs also have a pathway for a green card. And so for people who qualify, they may apply for a green card at any point after they're granted VAWA. And in some in some cases, even while they're applying for, for VAWA. And then for TPS, um, that depends. It can be anywhere from 6, 12, or 18 months um, that they have that, that status. And then they, again, must, must renew it. So can these visas be taken away? I think you mentioned that it is possible. What, what conditions are on these visas? In what instances would they be taken away? So a big one um, is committing certain crimes. Anytime, you know, um, somebody who's under one of these visas commits a crime, they need to speak to legal counsel because there may be some repercussions of that crime. Um, You know, it all depends if they were only arrested or if they were convicted and what their punishment is, Um, you know, in certain types of situations and certain criminal convictions can lead to the these visas taken away. There's also, you know, limits on when and if people can leave the country after they have their visa. Um, if they leave the country for a long period of time and if it's not with the proper documentation that they may lose their their visa. And then for a U visa also because it's very attached to you know, you know that assistance that they provide at law enforcement. If at any point somebody after they've been granted a U visa, if they don't want to work with law enforcement anymore, don't want to assist in investigations or prosecution of the crime, they sometimes can also have their their U visa taken away. Even at the green card stage, they often have to prove that they are still cooperating with law enforcement or with, um, you know, their district attorney's office. And if they haven't, they have to explain why. Um, And so there are conditions, they're not permanent, permanent, even for that amount of time that they're granted for. Um, so it's, it's very important that people understand after they're granted these statuses what can affect them negatively. Regarding VAWA, I just want to clarify, is it just for women or I assume men are also included in that category of visa against protection against domestic violence? Yeah, a lot of people when they think of VAWA or when they hear VAWA, um, because it was created under the Violence Against Women Act, they think it's for just women survivors of of domestic violence, but that's actually not the case. Um, You know, unfortunately, domestic violence can happen to anybody, men and women. And when Congress said domestic violence, you know, it it didn't just mean uh, romantic partnerships. Um, It can also mean um, violence between parent to child, things like that. And so men are you know, definitely able to apply protection for protection under VAWA if they have been um, survivors of, of domestic violence. 
and even children who have an abusive parent who is a green card holder or a citizen. Um, in some cases, they are also able to apply for protection under under VAWA. It's not just for women. Why would someone not pursue this type of visa? I think, you know, there's various reasons. I think over the years, the things that I've seen, why people decide not to, one big one is access to legal representation. As I mentioned, these applications, they're complex and they require people to have trained representation to help them prepare these applications, help them compile the necessary evidence, you know, because you want that application to be successful. And so, you know, it's not something that the average person could do on their own if they have no knowledge of, you know, the laws and knowledge of what type of evidence it requires. You know, I have seen a few people over the years who were able to do this on their own. And so it's not impossible, but I would say for the average person that that I see come through our doors, I don't think it's an easy process to do when, when you're doing it on your own. And so a lot of people don't have that access to legal representation. They may not be able to afford an attorney. In remote locations in the U.S., their nearest nonprofit legal service provider might be hours away. They might not be able to access it. So that's a big one. I think also trauma. As, as I mentioned, these are humanitarian pieces. Someone who's, who's available to access these services, it's usually because something bad has happened to them here in the United States. And so people may not have, may, they may not be ready to talk about what happened to them. They may not, you know, have dealt with a trauma themselves. They're still trying to find ways to, to cope with it. And, you know, they may not be ready to actively participate in this process that's going to require them to give details about what happened to them. I would say particularly when it's a child, that something may have happened to them when they were younger. Um, Many times they're not able to work on this process until they've become older and they've dealt with some of the issues surrounding what happened to them. So I think those are two big barriers that that I've seen um, over the last couple of years. Lastly, I want to talk a little bit more about TPS Can you tell us a little bit about where TPS holders are from and what's the process for deciding which countries and which people are eligible to receive those types of temporary visas? And then potentially what happens when they expire? Do they have to go back or can you just talk a little bit more about those types of visas? Yes. Um, So to your question, it's, it's our government, Secretary of Homeland Security, who decides what countries are designated as countries from which people can apply for TPS once they're already in the United States. And in the last few years, the countries that have been on the list and are currently on the list, El Salvador, Haiti, Honduras, Nepal, Nicaragua, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, and Syria, and Yemen. And so these are usually, as I mentioned, countries that have some sort of upheaval 
there, you know, countries who have been ravaged by war, countries who have suffered some sort of devastating environmental catastrophe, such as Haiti. And as I mentioned, these designations, they're not permanent. They can be taken off the list, these countries. Um, in fact, we have seen like Honduras, El Salvador, pretty soon their designation will, will end. And so after that happens, unfortunately, it leaves people in limbo, essentially. We have clients, young clients who whose parents, specifically from El Salvador and Honduras, have had this status for six to eight years, 10 years, and it, it brings some sort of stability when they have this. And, and so you can imagine if, if suddenly you're being told that that status is no longer going to be renewed um, because it, the country has been taken off the list, that means that this person will no longer hold legal status in the United States and that they will no longer be able to work legally in the United States. And not only that, but in many cases, it can mean that somebody may be facing deportation if, if a judge orders them to be deported. Well, thank you so much, Zayla, for sharing some of the stories you've witnessed and for your sharing your experience of these specialty visas. Where can people learn more about you and or your organization? Sure. Our website is hrionline.org. And people can find information about the types of cases that we work on there, information about how to get involved, um, and then just general information surrounding these types of visas about changes that, that we're currently facing. As I mentioned, we primarily work with humanitarian visas, but we also work with children's cases and asylum seekers. You can follow us on social media to stay up to date about current changes that these types of programs are, are facing currently. Thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Immigration. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with family or friends and leaving a rating or review so more people can learn about this important issue. Have a great week, everyone, and let's keep talking immigration.